This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by Clinic Gym Connect. Just go to clinicgymconnect.com to learn more. But Clinic Gym Connect is a wonderful, amazing communication system that you can use in your clinic to grow. All growth has to start around communication and Clinic Gym Connect makes that easy. With two-way text-based communication, the ability to send out review links, the ability to wow your patients, provide great customer service, follow up more efficiently, faster, and using the method of communication your patients are already using, which is text messaging. You can learn more again at clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it is my pleasure today to be joined by Brandon Sen. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing great, Josh. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Fantastic. Now, Brandon, you are over there at the, uh, I don't know what you guys call it, the Mecca, the Beehive, the uh, the Brain Trust of Kabuki Strength. Yep. Uh, and you, what, what's your role over there? I'm the uh, Vice President of Athlete Experience. So, head up all of our education. I manage our coaching staff and perform many other um, functions across the business. Um, but, uh, you know, my, uh, starting out here, not to be too exhaustive, but I start, I was our first coaching hire back in, back in 2015. I worked alongside Chris Duffin, who's a co-founder. We managed the client load of, you know, 10 people that we had at the time. And since then we've grown in many different, uh, reaching arms of the octopus that is Kabuki strength. And, uh, now we work with, uh, over 200 athletes, uh, online, um, as well as people in person. We do seminars, uh, pre COVID, we were planning on doing seminars in the UK, Canada, across the U S that changed a lot. We had to pivot quite a bit. Um, but we, uh, perform many functions. Our business is very unique too, in that we produce strength training equipment, coaching education, and we train people in house here. So it's a very, um, very dynamic business that I'm uh, pretty proud to be a part of. That's awesome. And it's, it's, a kind of one of those, uh, how would I say it? One of those funny businesses where it's still so close to its core, right? Like basically everybody that works there is actively also a power lifter. It's not like you're so big that you're hiring the the guy that's never lifted weights, right? Like, no, no. Yeah. You know, a lot of that, it's something that we've actually identified as kind of a a barrier for us because we, we tend to be pretty strength sports centric that Mm -hmm. we have to actively kind of get out of that mindset frequently. But you know, a lot of our uh, coaches that we have on staff come up from a very diverse background. Uh, one of our coaches is a former collegiate wrestler. Another coach is a, a former, very high-level MMA uh, guy. Of course, we have just our coaches like myself who come from just a strength sports background. Um, but we all have a pretty diverse uh, skill set. Uh, some coaches are a little bit more interested in nutrition. Some are a little bit more interested in rehab and movement. Um, and so the collective of, you know, our coaching staff, it works really, really well together because we have so many shared experiences, but we also have many experiences that aren't, aren't shared. And so it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a situation where the rising tide uh, raises all ships here. Yeah. At Kabuki Strength. 
I just picture that your boardroom has to have an extra large uh, conference table for the massive water jugs and uh, massive amounts of Tupperware for every power lifter I've ever been around. You yeah. Know? And then also room for a notebook or, you know, laptop to take notes. But yeah, that's really funny. Uh, if, if you were at our facility, it, it, you would, you would see this, but we actually do have a gigantic boardroom, but we're still a pretty small company. So we like to go and just kind of spread out just because we can, Sure, you know, but, uh, well, you're yeah. also large humans. Like let's not, no, <laughs> yeah, not like yeah, yeah, you yeah. can be up shoulder to shoulder with a guy is still going to be, uh, four feet away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Awesome. You know, we yeah. got some, we got some big guys around here. That's yeah. for sure. Well, I kind of want to dive into this idea. I mean, you guys are doing the, the, I don't want to say online coaching, it's virtual coaching. So you're, you are interacting like we, you and I are over Zoom or whatever. You're interacting with people across the globe. But I really want to kind of understand like how you guys got to that point successfully and what lessons you've learned. Because, you know, it's one thing if, if somebody wants to run a marathon and you say, what's your experience? You say zero. Where do you want, you know, how long, how far out is your marathon? All right. You run seven miles this week and back it off to five this week. And then it's 13. The Like, it's, it's just a numbers equation. I mean, it's, there's not a lot of things, but powerlifting is so different. Powerlifting is not just about the weights and the reps and the sets, but it's also like, how'd that weight go up? How did you feel? Like, yeah. you know, how, uh, what are some of the lessons you've learned along that path that have helped you serve your, your clients at a higher level? Because I mean, there are a lot of powerlifting programs people can buy. I mean, hell, you can I'm sure, you know, when you go to those gyms, your, your buddy will hand you an old piece of paper with a program on it for free. So why the hell would I pay any money? Yeah. You know, that, and that's a great point. Um, there's a lot of really good templates floating around and they do serve a purpose. They can get people in the door. They can mm -hmm. give people a little bit of structure. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be something that's going to be exactly for you. Now, if you're attentive as an athlete or as a coach, you can probably modify it a little bit. Um, but what we do is completely different. Um, we're a very high engagement, high touch coaching uh, operation here. And uh, we've learned a lot of things over the years that uh, is quite unique to online coaching or virtual coaching or remote coaching, distance coaching, whatever you want to call it, um, that is different than what is traditional in-person coaching. Because uh, I've done both. Our, our, our entire staff has had, ex you know, they've all cut their teeth in the commercial setting for at least some part of their career as many young trainers do some some of our coaches come from the professional setting even private sector uh, uh, like the professional sports sector but the one biggest difference between you know online training and in-person training is you have to have really well-built systems to manage athletes and to be able to take in information and to actually uh, frame kind of a story about progress, about the whys of things happening. You know, uh, you have to be a, you have to be much more attentive to systems and how programs are being laid out and uh, considering travel and many other things. Whereas uh, in person training, you show up to the session and I don't, I'm not discrediting anybody who works with people in person, but you have to train, you know, eight people a day, six days a week to really make a living at it. And there's no way you're spending, you know, another six hours a day writing programs. Like sometimes you're working with a template, you're making a work on the fly, you're kind of a hype man, you're working around whatever that person feels that day. It's a much more in the moment type of an experience. Um, and there's not often like a long-term development plan in place and there's not, 
you know, we're not always looking at sets, reps, intensity, or velocity, things like that. Whereas with distance coaching, we don't have the luxury of like having that super frequent interpersonal connection with a person that we can say, Hey, how'd that feel? Uh, you know, do you feel like you should go down in weight? Do you feel like you should go up? Whatever. We have to figure a lot of that out with the data that our athletes are supplying to us. And of course we do still have those touches, but instead of it being, you know, a daily thing, it's like a weekly thing. Like we'll check in once a week and we'll talk and, you know, we have a system for uh, athletes checking in with us. We review information, we send it back out and we do our best uh, similarly to how you and I are talking now to connect with people, but we have to have well-built systems. We have to be able to demonstrate progress. And that's the key because if somebody's not making progress, you know, unless they just feel compelled to continue to work with you because they like you, um, you know, that's not a really great place to be. Like we want to demonstrate progress. We want to show people that, Hey, you are making progress. Uh, it might not feel like it, but I can show you just based on data that you've logged, like, Hey, here's a five pound PR. Here's a, you know, a big thing. And you, you touched on this was, you know, how do we, um, how, how do we kind of bring that coach's eye to mm -hmm. a distance setting? And it's through tools. So one tool that we use quite heavily is velocity. Uh, many of our athletes, and it's completely optional, but they have a velocity uh, uh, device that they hook up to a bar and it tells them how fast that bar is moving. What that does for us is it replaces my eyeball that can be there with you. And in fact, it's quite a bit better. It doesn't tell you everything, but it's going to tell you how fast and how fast is a linear equation based on load. And by knowing that and by having a baseline, I can objectively say you're underperforming, you're overperforming, you're staying the same. Of course, fatigue is a real muddler of that equation. If somebody's tired or even if they just don't try that muddles it, but we have systems to work around that too. And some of that is just talking, you know, talking, conversing. Um, but velocity is one tool that we'll use to be able to uh, kind of interject ourselves in that uh, setting. So uh, practically, if, if, if uh, the listeners or you have never used a velocity training device, uh, we're going to go through and map a velocity profile of each lift that you want to track. And the, the most important, we're not going to do a barbell row or a dumbbell row, but we are going to do squats, presses, and deadlifts and variations of. And then by having that baseline uh, chart that is, is simple linear regression in Excel, we can see per you know single percentage of load relative to your one rep max, how fast it should be moving. And because we know that velocity profiles, if, if you move your body consistently, uh, they will be consistent for a long time. If you're someone who, you know, you know, maybe you cut a squat three inches high sometimes, maybe you dip one way, that will be reflected in the data. And it's actually very telling because I can tell how good of a mover you are or, or consistently you are based on your scatter plot when you send it back to me. I don't even have to see your video. I can see, okay, wow. point here, point here, point here, point here. If it's not fitting the trend like I want it to be, then I go, yeah, maybe you're not the best candidate for velocity yet. Yeah. Or it just reinforces what we're going to be working on. And yeah. I can show it to you with data. So, you know. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I have a friend who's a golf instructor and he said mm -hmm. a very specific thing. There's a, a similarity here. He used something called the Sam putting lab where you, you put a ball and it lays a, let's just say a dime sized disc on this computer screen. It shows the face of your putter and a dime sized disc of where that one came off. And I mean, you're measuring like millimeters, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it affects, it affects the way the ball comes off. Yeah. And he said, he just watches. And basically if they're just overlaying each other, 
he's like, okay, you're, you're a legit player. Yeah. But if they're all over the face, you know, if they're varying like five to six millimeters each way, much like your scatter plot, he's like, you just need to hit more putts. Like there's no, you just need more reps, you, you know, like doesn't matter what you do. And until then you're just paying for the world's most expensive lessons. Cause you can't even control whatever I tell you to control. Sure. Like, you know, you're just burning money. And, you know, he says, that's what keeps the golf game going and I'm happy to take their money, but I'll just tell them like, just roll more putts, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. Golfers are a great example of that baseball players are similar. You know, we had an opportunity to go up to a, a baseball uh, training facility called Driveline Baseball up here yeah. in uh, Seattle. Bodie and those guys. Yeah. So we yeah. did a full, uh, you know, motion capture analysis uh, studies on our barbells and our specialty bars uh, that should be getting released, you know, later in the year that we can actually quantify, you know, positional change based on awesome. different settings of our transformer bar, which is the variable position uh, safety squat bar that we produce, as well as the Duffalo bar, Cadillac, all, all of those. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I don't think any form of sport tech is going to replace a good coach, but uh, knowing how to use sport tech is going to make a, a good coach better. Uh, and it's going to make their life easier, you know, because you're going to be able to get buy-in. Because uh, I can just say, I, you know, unfortunately, I think one of the best things you can say to a client is trust the process. One of the worst things you can say is trust the process because it's like, just trust me, it'll, it'll probably work out. But right. if you can actually say, hey, here's what I'm basing my decision off of. Uh, here's what I'm seeing. What do you think? And then we make a decision, you know, and sport tech is a great way to do that because a lot of it is completely objective and it's really hard to, to argue objective data such as uh, is spit out with a lossy device. And we don't use that for everybody. Uh, some yeah. people work really well off of RPE or rate of perceived exertion. And, you know, at, at the highest levels, I've, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I've, I've worked with some of our best athletes over the years. I've uh, written Chris's training programs since 2016. So all through his you know, thousand pound squats and deadlifts and, you know, everything he's done as well as many other accomplished athletes at the highest level, you know, sport tech and the implementation of it really comes down to like personality too. Like, should this person use velocity or should they use, you know, RPE or uh, reps and reserve for powerlifters? It, it really is more of a personality thing than, uh, than anything. And Brandon, just so my listeners can know, when you're talking about these velocity devices, like wh what's the price range of these things? You know, and this is why it's they've become a whole lot more popular recently is because the barrier to entry has been a lot lower. Um, probably, you know, 10, not even 10 years, maybe 15 years ago to get into velocity based training, you would have to have like a 10 to a unit and it would cost, you know, two grand, uh, something like that. Uh, the next player in the game was Jim Ware, who's like the, the Cadillac of lost device. They're still going to be in that two grand, 1500 price range. They do have a, um, a, a lower price point item now that I think it's around $600, but you can get into velocity devices now for like as little as like 250. So it's, you know, if you're going to buy a, here's, here's the way that, cause a lot of people think it's just like extra and, you know, I'm not good enough yet to use it. Well, if you're going to spend money on a good barbell, like let's spend money on like a good, uh, training tool. It, this, is a, this is just like a barbell. Yeah. It's going to help you use a barbell better. Again, going um, back to golf, like, early on investing in a launch monitor and an okay set of clubs is better than custom mm -hmm. fit PXG clubs and no launch. Like you, yeah. they can be the best in the world, but you're not the best in the world. So, you know, you need to kind of earn your way up that thing. And, and there's a, those dollars can go to a lot of other mm -hmm. places to find a lot more of your potential faster. Oh yeah. Well, you're speaking right to me of that. I, I feel like it's, it, it depends on who you ask to. If you ask the guy who fit me for my last driver, he'll say, yeah, you know, it's uh, you need this and this and that. 
Um, but if you ask my father-in-law, he goes, uh, you know, it's, it's the Indian, not the arrow. Well, I say, well, the sales guy told me differently. Uh, you know, just as a joke, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an avid golfer. I'm, I shoot probably, you know, if I'm trying maybe low eighties, if I'm out with friends, you know, I could easily crest 90 pretty easily, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a very similar game for sure. Nice. Yeah. It's a very exciting time. Like whether it's baseball, golf, powerlifting, they're, they're, uh, even general athletics of like the progressions in HRV and all these tools that used to be out of touch, you know, like there's no way we could afford to put one in every gym. And now I think we're at the point, you know, I mean, when I was in college, we had force plates and they were like a hundred grand each. And then the installation was, we had a grant for another hundred thousand and the amount of information we got with them was okay, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything spectacular. Now you can get like one of these pressure mats, like, I don't know if you're familiar with body track or um, swing catalyst and all all these things that talk, look at ground force reaction, specifically golf swing, baseball, things like that like 2,500 bucks and you, they're a doormat. I mean, you can, you could carry one to another facility if you were testing an athlete and just go, Hey, let me just see this, you know? Yeah. So it's it's exciting as we get more and more of that. Um, And then the, the software tools that are accompanying those are, are absolutely incredible. Um, So, so you guys work with a lot of people all over the, the nation globe uh, that are interested in pursuing some serious strength, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, for whatever yeah. reason, maybe they want to compete. Maybe they just like what it does for them. Um, a lot of different reasons. As you look at that, and if if we have pe- listeners who are looking at implementing a a program for their patients, as you develop this, and since it sounds like you're a guy that definitely tracks data, what have been like some of the hurdles that kind of you didn't expect? So you know, writing programs and doing the math and loads and everything is kind of I would guess what you expect on the surface. But what were the things you didn't expect as you were building this out? The things you kind of had to discover and support your clients in or find a solution to that you're like, wow, I never kind of expected that one. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, too. And there's a few things that come to mind there. Um, Number one, you know, my first passion in all of this was program development and writing training programs. I, you know, getting into like movement and I use movement as like a very broad category. Uh, it was really a means to end for me for the programs to work better. Um, but I was always a programs kind of guy. I was very interested in periodization and all that. And I, I would say the one thing that I found over time, cause I used to really micromanage programs like down to, you know, I, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of very strong athletes. Like I would be there, like it has to be this, or, you know, you absolutely have to do this. It's just not the case. So I guess my, you know, one thing is um, a hurdle that I had to personally overcome was like over planning. You know, I think over planning is, uh, I wouldn't even say it's better than like under planning, but it it can be a real problem because if you spend time and a lot of young coaches really want to build the best program possible, because as soon as you uh, have the program, just run the program and get the results. But it really does not work that way, unfortunately. Um, you know, we we like to have kind of a map in a, you know, are we heading north? Are we heading south? Or where, you know, what direction are we heading? But we're not going to go as granular as to tell you, you know, turn right on Main Street just yet. We're going to have to navigate that as we flow. So I think along with that, though, you develop communication skills and you develop uh, relationship building skills with individuals. 
uh, that would otherwise, your answer would be, hey, just follow the program and it's your fault if it doesn't work because you didn't try hard enough or maybe you didn't sleep well enough. Like, oh, the program would have worked if you just recovered better, right? That's a real easy pitfall to, to dive into as a young coach, I think, who, you know, plan 16 weeks in a row. Whereas now I rarely plan more than, I rarely plan more than four weeks in advance. Usually it's two, oftentimes it's one week in advance, but I, I know like where I want to get to, but I'm not over planning it anymore. So now decision-making's changed. I can now, you know, provide, you know, hey, here's my rationale for why we're doing something. And if it, I, I would prefer to have a conversation about it versus it being like a, a high level dictatorship, like, hey, uh, here's what I want to try. Um, here's why I want to try. Here's why I maybe think so we'll have clients who, you know, maybe they, the only thing they've ever read is like things from a very specific group of powerlifters or thinkers. And we say, yeah, it doesn't quite fall in line with what we want to do. Um, in those situations, instead of just saying, hey, it's our way or no way, it's like, hey, here's why we're going to make the decision we're going to make. What do you think? And then we'll make a decision together. Sometimes we might budge a little bit on their, you know, what they want to do. Um, but if uh, if they're really set in the sand, then we'll say, okay, let's try it. And then because we have systems and because we're tracking data properly, uh, we're going to be able to circle back around and say, you know, this happened maybe because of this reason. So let's make a better decision. So for me, um, you know, a lot of the unknowns was around better communication from a uh, an online setting, you know, getting away from just email communication as well. You know, people get really rigid with email um, and it was getting out of uh, the box of not over planning. And I think those are two things that are very, very hard to overcome if you're a, a new coach and maybe you've just learned about, you know, block periodization or you just learned about this, you know, style of periodization that came from a book this thick and it was called super training. And it's what people talk about. But in reality, you know, it's it's good in theory, but it doesn't work practically. And I think being able to, um, uh, overcome that and realize that, you know, you don't have all of the answers is actually quite freeing uh, as a coach and allows you to make better decisions. Because I think the worst thing you can do is build a great plan that doesn't change based on decisions or based on new data. Like uh, you're always going to have new data, whether it's, uh, you know, injury, lifestyle factors, just even progress. It's so many things that is impossible to quantify. Uh, if the plan's not changing based with uh, on new data and you try to force people into that, you know, kind of square hole, uh, then it's it's just going to be bad for for both sides. So I would say, you know, long-witted wise, that would probably be the, the bigger things that I've overcome. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you see a lot of uh, rookie pr- uh Strength coaches sometimes program for uh, human-like people. Being human-like means they don't have birthday parties, they don't have friends, they don't have social relationships, they never struggle with sleep, and you know they don't travel from school to work. Like they never deal with traffic or picking up the dry cleaning or whatever, you know. And it's like, well, when you mix all those things in, that's what <laughs> your biggest enemy. It's not, it's not the plates in the, at the gym, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, uh, so you, you learn those uh, communication. By the way, have you ever um, read Nick Winkleman's book, The Language of Coaching? I haven't, but I've heard great things about it. Oh yeah, he super smart guy, and he was just kind of. We had him on the podcast, and basically, it, it was all inspired by the fact of 
how come some cues work to make people faster or push harder or lift more weights and some cues just seem to fall on their face. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny how that, that little bit can change performance. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as you've been working with people, uh, what, what have you found? We talked about the hurdles, but what have you found is uh, the, the main driver for main driver of performance compared to what you thought it was. I mean, you've probably run a lot of self experiments of macronutrients, caloric intake, uh, number of training sessions per week, amount of water, sleep hours, right? Like all these things. When you go out to that, and, and are, we, are most of your clients basically general pop people who kind of also want to compete? Is it mostly competitors? Is it? You know, so surprisingly enough, uh, as our client base was really small uh, and we had a really focused, uh, a demographic. It was just people who wanted to compete. Now in the past, probably three years, we work with probably 60% non-competitive individuals who, and I just describe them, you know, people will go, well, do you work with strength people, fitness people? I'm like, we just work with people who want to move their body better and be stronger. Like it doesn't mean they need to set world records. Like they're doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but they just want to move their body better. They want to be more capable and they want to be stronger. Uh, and, but we do also have our pretty, you know, hardcore, like, I uh, just want to set PRs at all costs, um, individuals and they have, you know, their different, um, their different needs for sure. Um, but you know, I, from uh, the biggest, I, I think the question was like around biggest markers of like performance. Um, I think the thing that I've come to realize again over the course of my lifetime as a coach now, since I've been doing this, um, is, uh, you know, more is not always going to be better. Um, you know, adding, uh, 3% to the bar, uh, looks really good on a spreadsheet until you get into, you know, week five. Uh, so I think letting athletes adapt to the things that they're doing is actually a really good thing. Um, not necessarily always pushing for uh, change of homeostasis, not always changing, uh, moving to brand new novel stimuluses, like getting athletes to adapt uh, and taking small steps is really important. And by small steps, I rarely will look at what is the heaviest load a person has used. I'll look at like what their PRs are and stuff at like not even on a weekly basis, maybe a monthly basis. I want to know what your average loading is doing on a week to week basis. I don't care if you hit like one heavy set and the rest were 30% lighter. I want to know what the average is of those. And that's the best marker that I've found uh, to gauge long-term progress is not like, you know, did you hit a 50 pound PR? Did you hit a five? Because say you hit a 20 pound PR, that is not necessarily indicative of a great training cycle because it, it you have to factor in everything that it took prior to that training cycle to build to the position to get there. So we look at uh, the slower moving variables as the better indicators for long-term progress. Average load is a really good one. Um, and we look at that relative to how hard was it actually? Um, because if load goes up and difficulty goes up, it's like, duh, like it was harder. But if load kind of slowly goes up over time and difficulty kind of remains the same, that's a way better place to be in than me. I would rather see uh, the average load creep up 5% over the course of a few months and difficulty of it. And we use a subjective rating system to track difficulties. It is literally a one through five descriptive scale. But if I can say, hey, average loads got up to this, your difficulty really hasn't changed. That's a great spot to be. Whereas if I go, hey, 
let's uh, load the bar up today and, you know, put another 40 pounds on, like you probably, you might be able to do it, but if it was like the hardest thing of your life, that doesn't necessarily, you know, where uh, the question now is where do we go from here? Like it was a, uh, it was a great, um, you know, uh, kind of a, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, this is why we do it though to hit PRs, but I'm I, myself and the rest of our staff is, is always kind of looking at the next step. Like, yeah. because we know that, you know, for the P like, you're not going to be satisfied with just the next 10 pounds or the 15 pounds. Like we want to look at like, what does the next hundred pounds look like? What does the next 50 pounds look like? And we are certainly do not have a crystal ball to tell you how to get there. We have to navigate it along with you, but we need to look at some of the slower moving variables and get uh, out of just trying to hit new PRs weekly. And, and that is not, you know, the other side of that, and this probably plays to more of, of your interest too, is like, it's going to keep people healthier over time. You know, if you can keep the train on the tracks longer, you're going to have more productive training for a longer period of time. And that in itself is going to equal PRs versus just, you know, taking uh, two weeks off or having to take, you know, five sets off or, you know, taking a month off yeah. because your knees banged up, you know, I'm, let's get a year's worth of productive training and see where you're at versus going hard for three weeks and deloading. You know, that's not the way to do it. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, two two questions or two thoughts come into my mind. The first, I've had this conversation with a college professor one time, and he he asked the question to a statistics class. He said, "You know, here's here's the distribution of A's, B's, C's, and F's, or D's and F's in my class for the last fifteen years." And he said, "Let me ask you guys this theoretical question: How hard would I have to make the tests in my class to start seeing a dramatic change in the distribution of grades?" He's like 4%, you're going to, the A's are still going to stay up all night. They're still going to study. They're still going to do that. The D's are still going to put in no effort. They're still going to show up, you know, deliver crap. And he said that he had tried over the years, some experiment, uh, mostly in summer school. Um, but he said, he said, I, I've gone 10% higher and 10% easier. And he said, the grades really don't change that much. Yeah which is kind of a, a, an interesting thing. Like those diligent athletes you have, I, I wonder they're diligent, no matter what you, if you put a three hour long workout on the paper that are in the program, they're going to do it. Like, yeah. you know, and they're probably more motivated to do it. Right. And that, that perceived exertion or that perceived, uh, you know, how your one to five experience scale would probably stay relatively the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe vary a little bit, but yeah, until you start really buying into the fact that you're eroding, you know, you'll see a fatigue, six to nine months of fatigue in a big way, right? It, it would crash in a hard way as as, as well as your short-term things. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that reminds me of something when it comes back to velocity-based training, if I see the, unless it's a, just a train wreck of a set and the person's all over the place and they're just yeah. barely surviving. If I see that velocity is below what I deem to be baseline or what I would expect, the first thing that we do is not say, okay, let's take some weight off and, you know, you know, do it again. We say, Hey, uh, try a little bit harder on this next set, try hard. And they go, okay, you know, 90% of the time, unless they're carrying a ton of fatigue, that's it. And they'll be able to put another 3% into the bar, another 4% of the bar. Interesting. Um, you know, not a lot And that. That's a, the great thing about objective data is 
you got to realize people experience hard training, but they don't train as hard as they can. That's a huge difference. And that's what separates the high achievers in especially strength sports from the people who are just good. Like it's like the high achievers are going to try as hard as they can on every rep and every set. And uh, you will still make progress if you just put the work in and just show up and put your head down. You will make so much more progress. So if you actually try and it's such a, it's it's something that's really hard to understand, I, I think, unless you're looking at it through data. Because otherwise I say, you know, I probably could have done one more rep, but it was still hard. And you're still probably to make progress from that. But if I can put another two and a half pounds, five pounds, 10 pounds on the bar for my sets of five, for my sets of sixes or twos over the course of six months, because I worked a little harder and I tried a little more, that's a huge amount of tonnage in that time that is different than what you would have used if you just did the program, right? And it's a it's a massive difference over time. You know, it's not a big difference week to week, but if you look six months at the tonnage difference, which it's impossible to look at an athlete who hasn't tried it because I would have to be like, hey, eh, just, you know, kind of do this versus, you know, it, it would be impossible to separate the two. But knowing the acute changes that I've observed in myself, our coaches, our athletes, like the tonnage difference year over year is it's com- it's compounding interest right like yeah we're not talking about heroic gains we're just talking about a little bit of gains consistently over amount of time yeah and i to your point i remember so franco colombo is a a, a chiropractor he and i'm sure oh, you really know, arnold schwarzenegger's yeah training ah. buddy he actually went to our my chiropractic college Funny enough, in the final exam for my x-ray class, there's this tiny little humerus. It's like this long with the most gigantic bicep shadow on an (laughs) x-ray and it was fractured and uh, it's his. Everybody could tell it was his, even though it's supposed to be scrubbed, but it was just funny. Like, I'm like, something's wrong here. Like you never see a a bone that small with that much muscle on it. So he's like a five foot two, you know, Italian dude. Anyway, so he spoke at our school one time uh, and his point, somebody asked him like, you know, why was Arnold so good in those years? And he said, you will never ever in your life meet somebody that was that focused on what he was doing at the time he was doing it. He said, when we would do bicep curls, he's like, I train hard. Like I train, he said, you know, no offense to anybody. I train harder than 99% of people on earth. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I didn't train anywhere near as hard as my training partner, Arnold. He said, when he's doing bicep curls, his entire brain is inside his bicep. That's all he's concentrating on. And he said, you can, you cannot describe how intense that man's training is doing, you know, you and him and I do five sets of five bicep curls. It's just totally different with that neurological drive. I don't know what you even call that, you know, and it's, it, just- it, it's completely different. And it's, it really too comes down to what are people motivated by? Like, it's funny. I would work with, um, you know, working with Chris. I like to use Chris as an example because a lot of people know him, and you know his his lifting is very he's done okay in the in the strength world. I mean, he's like, done okay. Yeah. yeah, he's all right. All right let's he's, get the kid a few. Okay. He, uh, you know, he. You can't just give him a program though and say, okay, just do you know your sets of three and then get on to the next session. Like the only thing that's even going to get him to get out there is if he's tr- like actually trying to do something he's never done before. Like in this every session, he's just it, like everybody has an off day. Right. And there's going to be some days where you just kind of get through it. But the overwhelming majority of those sessions is like, Hey, 
every single rep is going to be as hard as I can because I know if I can do that, then I can probably put another five pounds on today. And I know I only have 10 pounds for another PR. And that's that's the reward system. And, it, and it's the thing that makes them feel better about it. And, you know, you that is not taught to people. And, you know, if you experience a little success, I think you can kind of unleash that a little bit, but you either have that or you don't. And it doesn't necessarily mean that people can't achieve huge things, but there's, you know, a reason everyone can't be a Michael Jordan, right? Despite basketball being a hugely popular sport, there's only one of them, right? Maybe two with LeBron, depending on who you ask. Um, it's, it's, you, you can't. Especially, you, it's especially interesting to me with Chris Duffin, with Michael Jordan, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, there was no version of them before them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't like Michael Jordan, there's never a player that prolific, that intense, that hard charging, which makes it even, you would think harder to achieve that status. But in fact, history would tell me it's easier when you don't, you know, LeBron yeah. got to watch Kobe and got to watch um, MJ and got to watch the dream team and all that. And yet, produced what he, I don't know. Yeah. I I was just uh, realizing the corner that I kind of backed myself into there because if Chris listens to this and he goes, Oh, so you think I'm the Michael Jordan, the powerlifting, huh? I'm never going to hear the end of it. (laughs) That's true. You'll have to unfortunately work with this man in your future. So we better stop, (laughs) you know, get off his, uh, get off his accolades, but real quick, let me just do a live read for our software. We'll just take a, a little break, but I do have one question for you that I want you to noodle on as I do this little live read for our software. I was at a golf seminar one time because I love golf. And uh, somebody was saying the most important thing you do as a coach with junior players is develop a passion for the game. Because if they have that, they'll stay up all night chipping balls in their backyard. They'll putt, you know, on their, their carpet. It doesn't, they'll, they'll, they'll get better at golf. So if I were to ask you, after all the time you've spent learning how to train people in powerlifting, all the personal things you've done and all the times you've seen Chris perform as well, like, you yeah. know, I he doesn't want to hear that. But what would you say is the number one factor that if you could give an athlete, if you could create this in an athlete, that's the game set match. What is that thing? So I'll uh, like, whether it's the, their importance to recover, follow a program, stay diligent, whatever it is, whatever you think. So with that, let me just do my live read and we'll get back to this answer here. If you are interested in sending out awesome text messages to your clients, check out Clinic Gym Connect. So you can use Clinic Gym Connect in many ways. And it's all about communication because communication is the engine that drives your practice, drives your gym. So if you want to send out a text message congratulating a a client on their recent PR, you can do that. If you are hosting an event and you want to send a broadcast text message to thousands of people about an event you're hosting, It allows you to do that and it allows you to do one-to-one communication, whether you want to check in with a patient who's hurting or you want them to be able to text you to see if there's any available appointments today. Clinic Gym Connect allows you to do all those things. So if you're interested in communicating through text messaging with all your patients, all your clients, then check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. Why text messaging? Well, I would argue that that's probably how you communicate with 99% of the people you care about in your life. So why not extend that to our patients and get the heck off of email? Email is, the inbox is just cluttered and it's a crappy way to communicate. So if we want to move into the 2020s, it's time to check out text message communication with your patients. The best way to do that, check out clinicgymconnect.com. All right. So Brandon, what's the number one factor you would love to see in your athletes? 
Well, uh, you know, that it's such a hard thing to answer to because uh, in a lot of our, the strength athletes that we work with is really, uh, there's many things that have to go into to make one really successful. I, I might even take this a slightly different direction. I would say, because I've, I've been around a lot of really talented younger uh, lifters who really do have the makeup to probably be one of the better lifters that have ever lifted ever. I can kind of say that because the talent pool is still so small in this sport. Um, in a lot of these younger lifters, you know, if, if I had my, my cream of the crop, I would probably have a high school kid whose parents supported him, um, who had a little bit of talent, you know, maybe it was a lineman that just wasn't quite good enough to play at the next level. That's a very, you know, I, I got to have someone whose knees are probably the size of his head, you know, you need gigantic bones. Um, but <laughs> with those individuals, the greatest pitfall that coaches fall into, because I've done it as a younger coach, is showering them in early success. Because these kids who are just freaks, it doesn't take much to make them stronger. Yeah. Like we have kids who are 16, 17 years old who can squat 600 pounds. Like it took me like 10 years to do that. And it was like a huge accomplishment. But you have these kids who, you know, they're in their second year of training and they do it. And, you know, you see a coach on Instagram, they're like, look at, you know, Johnny, he put 20 pounds on his squat, 17 years old, let's go. You know, I'm like, dude, it, this is, he's like a burning star. Like it, it's, he, as soon as a little bit of hard training comes his way and like, as soon as it's not 10 pound, 20 pound PRs every week, like this is, it's not, and you never hear from him again. And of course, you know, maybe people get into it and uh, they they were only it. And the other side of it too is, you know, sometimes people get into strength sports because they're just good at it, but the, it's a real grind. It's not a fun thing, you know, to like, it's, it's not, it, there's no like real reward system during like hard sets of five. It's like, I just have to do this to get better. Like the reward system is like 12 weeks away, but for these talented young kids, like you almost kind of suppress that a little bit in favor of more consistent long-term training and you leave a little on the table uh, and you leave a little on the table and next week you take a little bit off, you take a little bit more. And then, you know, when it's time to go to a meet, uh, maybe instead of hitting hard singles going into it, you're only going to touch triples and you're going to take the meet what they could do for uh, two reps. You're going to take it for one and you're going to underweight it a little bit, but you really want to instill like some consistency consistency and some like, um, you know, really uh, you, you don't want these uh, kids to be so showered in praise and like you're the number one. And then uh, all of a sudden, like training gets hard and like that's the time that they should rely on that coach the most. The coach has nothing to go on now because they were just showering, showering, showering. Now kid goes, hey, why isn't this working? They go, I don't know. And like, um who knows? Maybe just having a bad day. Like, you know, there's a real lesson with that. I heard a baseball coach, a pretty high level baseball coach, because uh, he was a hitting coach in the bigs and he was the head coach of a couple of university programs. And he uh, at a conference said, the worst thing that can happen to a baseball player is that he plays in the Little League World Series. Yeah. And he said that because he said, just look at the numbers. You see that that's their peak. Like 99% of the kids, that's their peak. And usually the scrub that sat on the bench that never took a swing, maybe he goes on. But when they when you're at 13 and everybody's telling you how awesome you are and you're like, oh, yeah, we're beating our chest, 
said, none of those kids make it anywhere past that. He said, no. they don't even play in college. I'm talking like junior college level. And there's a lot of junior college baseball teams that are decent, but he goes, those kids, that's the worst thing for him. He said, I would just get them out of that program totally. And I was like, yeah. And you know, and for these younger kids too, we got to kind of talk to the parents a little bit too. Not in like a, Hey, relax, but it's like, Hey, we're really looking at the long term. Like every kid we have yeah. looks at their age division records. It's like, I gotta be, I really have to hit this before I turn 19. I'm like, dude, you, it literally, I promise you, I, nobody cares. I promise you, you won't care in a few years. Yeah. Like we, we gotta, we gotta look at like what you, and number two, and I was talking with our coach who uh, has the background in martial arts. I was like, if you had a really talented kid come through that martial arts school, he's not, uh, you know, competing against kids his age. He's going against probably some older, maybe, uh, maybe someone in their twenties, who's a little bit less experienced, but um, you know, you, you really have to, instill like a love for training in these kids. And it's not driven just by success. It's like very driven by the process and how it morphs you as a person and the things you have to do to get better, not just by early success. And it's something that, uh, and it's, it's so, I wouldn't say it's so, so obvious because you do have to celebrate the things that are good about the program and the kid's success, but it's like, Hey, you know, uh, I know you really wanted to take, you know, a 400 pound deadlift. It would be the first time you ever did that, but we're going to load, you know, 390 and you're going to crush it. And we're going to hit, you know, 415 in the next competition. You know, for example, there's always like a, it's, it's really funny. It's like, you almost have to hold these kids back more than you have to push them ahead. Yeah. I have a lot of people I have to push ahead and like kind of drag along, but there's some that you, that you could be really fortunate to come across that you really have to draw back. And you're like, Hey, you know, that was a great set of five. Um, I, I actually want you to stay here and do that again and really crush your position or, Hey, let's hit a velocity PR on this. And, uh, you, you have that in the tank, but let's save it for another day. You know, and these are really things that you have to be really comfortable with yourself as a coach too. Not to say that I don't struggle with different things coaching, but you really need to, to be able to put you know these more talented individuals on a path to do it over a long period of time, because, you know, uh, if, if they really want to make it, it's going to take 10 years. I'm, I'm impressed with you, Brandon, because at no point have I heard your ego come into play, but there are those coaches that want to be known to have the, you know, U S deadlift record holder under the yeah. age 18 or, and it, you know, their, their ego gets caught up in that of they've mm -hmm. maybe had some misses in their past and they want to nail this one or they see it, you know, and it's yeah. tough to put that aside and say, what's the long play here? Yeah, you know, and and that's something that I've I've learned over time too. I think as a young coach, and it goes the same way. If I I had I was fortunate to be associated with Chris early on, and I had an opportunity to work with strong athletes. That if I was just doing it on my own, I wouldn't. And I learned very early on through even interacting with Chris and you know, other athletes. It's like if you want to take credit for the things that they are the best at, you better be ready to take credit when they crash. And yeah. that's a whole different ball game. Right. And I would prefer to do neither. Like I'm going to be, you know, a player in this, but like, this is your game. And like, I'm going to do my best to, to get you in the position that you need to be in. But at the end of the day too, like, this is your, like, this is you, like you hold the keys to your domain here. I'm going to put you on a good program. I'm going to help you navigate it. I'm going to give you all of the things that I have to, to get you in that position. But I'm, I can't squat this for you. Like I have to get you in a position to be self-sufficient. 
So I, I and I learned that because I had athletes who, you know, really, you know, struggled at times. I'm like, uh, so is that, did I do that? Like who now, now who's, because if I say, oh, because of my great program, you did this. Well, because of my great program, did the adverse of that happen? I, who knows? Right. Yeah. But that's, that's why it's like, I think it's really important for, uh, in, for, you know, coaches to check that because it's, it get, it's, it's like picking stocks, right? You can get a real winner and it's going to run, but, uh, it's, you would be the richest person in the world if that happened every day. It's not going to happen every day. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and that my friends is hard to accept sometimes, but is what, um, what sets Warren Buffett apart in the, you know, like, yeah. it, you know, he, that guy doesn't hit grand slams, but he just gets on base more than anybody in the history of the game, you know, and it's, and it's worked and it's tough to hold back human nature sometimes with that. But I guess yeah. the good news is that at this point in your coaching career, you've also been under the bar yourself and every little desire to, to go crazy has been burned out by a, by a heavy bar, you know, it's yeah. Psychological therapy that weightlifting can be or powerlifting can be. No doubt about it. Awesome. Well, uh, Brandon, this has been an awesome conversation. I really think that uh, I wish I had you around a campfire and a, a bottle of some decent bourbon because I think you can go pretty deep into these ideas and you seem to be very clear of thought. And I really enjoy this. Um, for those who are listening to this, going, man, that guy is the guy I want uh, working with. And I, he sounds like he's trained his team amazingly. Where can people find more information about your coaching programs? Where can they find more information about these velocity products or training programs? Can you give them a little bit of info on yeah. that? So I am not as active on like social media and stuff as I used to be. So you're not going to see a whole lot of me there. But if you do want to follow me, it's just Brandon underscore send with two ends. But if you want to work with our team, you got to go to kabukistrength.com, search any of the things that we do coaching, search out our seminars. Uh, you know, it is actually, that's a good point. Like, uh, I think you guys are known for the equipment and the, the coaching, but Kabuki is developing amazing education around the health and wellness mm -hmm. as it interacts with these strength athletes. So for those listeners who are mostly chiropractors, physical therapists, athletic trainers, you know, check out their courses and their education because they're uh, don't sleep on that part of it. Yeah. The, one of the best courses, we have quite a few practitioners come through them as well as strength coaches and just, you know, people who want to learn it for themselves. But I think one of the biggest benefits, and it's the same reason that I've been to all of the DNS courses that I can, um, as well as like a lot of our staff, uh, having uh, clinicians at our seminars helps them understand like how strength coaches look at movement and, and really how they can communicate with them the best. But our principles of loaded movement courses essentially are, are, you know, top to bottom movement system. It's how we instruct barbell movement. Uh, and I just say barbell movement because it is not a powerlifting seminar. It's like barbell movement. It's putting you under load. It's uh, working through every hierarchy of breathing and bracing and trunk stability, feet and uh, lower limb and many, many things. So uh, we'll be booking those, uh, especially as uh, the whole pandemic is kind of cooling down a little bit, uh, hoping to get out this year and do those. But other than that, you can catch us on the Kabuki virtual coaching Instagram page. Um, and I'm always available for uh, an email or phone call, you can email me at brandon at kabukistrength.com if you have anything that I might be useful for. Awesome. All right. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate your time today and I uh, hope everybody listening got some amazing points out of this. I know I certainly did. So on behalf of Brandon over at Kabuki Strength, this is Dr. Josh Adderley saying, go out there, 
maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. ClinicGymConnect.com. Now, if you want to grow your practice, add a gym, provide great customer service, whatever you want to do in your clinic or in your gym, Clinic Gym Connect can help you do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and make your patients and clients fall in love with you. So just check it out at ClinicGymConnect.com.